All right, enjoy the happy picture. It's a good Sunday school picture of Noah's Ark. Those animals are happy. They look like they're giant animals, which is possible pre-flood that the animals were bigger, but they're pretty, they're pretty good. I should have put a trout down there to commemorate the weekend. Um, so this is, our, this is our Sunday school version of what we get. This is the first of our series of Sunday school, the rest of the story. Um, we put a bunch of stories out there on the whiteboard. If you didn't get a chance to check anything off yet, please take the chance to check things off. Um, and we just threw some stories up there, and you had a write-in spot too. Some people wrote in some stories, and they put checks next to where they're at. A lot of people checked um, a bunch of stories from Genesis, actually. So we're going to kind of go in chronological order for these next few weeks and try to knock out some of these Genesis stories and take a deeper look at them. Uh, some of these stories, um, they, as a kid, we just, we, you know, we listen. We listen to the happy story. The book is read. The pictures are shown. And we don't think much about it until maybe later and we're older. Like with Noah, like I sit around, you know, when he hit 10 or 12 and you're like, wait a second. Things were just really bad, so God just destroyed the world? Just killed everything? What is going on? And so you kind of, you get to these things and you're kind of like, huh. And there's, there's just more to the story. And as a kid, we, we, there's some stuff, as, as we'll talk about today, there's some stuff that we, we don't teach the kids, and there's probably reasons we don't get into some of this stuff with kids. Um, so today's going to be a little weirder one, but, but we'll make it through it. Um, there's also lots of things in Genesis that are themes that repeat and cycle all the way through. There's phrases that you used over and over again that show us uh, major things that, that God is showing us. And sometimes when we just take them as little snippets out of a storybook, we're not, we're not catching these themes. We're not catching God's lessons for us. Um, and what, what is interesting is that like a lot of this stuff is going to be referenced again in the New Testament where we spend a lot of our Bible study time um, and we miss, we miss a lot of what's being said in the New Testament because we don't understand the worldview or the cosmology of everything that came before. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at Genesis 1 through 11. We're going to go through those first ones really quick. We're just going to summarize them because that wasn't on the list. Um, the first 11 chapters of Genesis set up everything in the Bible. And what happens here in these first 11 chapters affects everything until the last page of Revelation. And Revelation brings it all back. Um, the Bible is a complete narrative. There's nothing really in the Bible that doesn't, doesn't have a point. Um, and there's things that God chose not to put in there. And that's all right. We have what we have. Um, these chapters of 1 through 11 form the cosmology and the worldview of every writer of our Bible. So everybody that's going to be writing in this holy book of ours, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to be coming out of this worldview and understanding. And it, it, we really, we rip off everything that's in the Bible if we don't understand what the writers are coming from. Um, just a cosmology, when I say that, it's an account or a theory of the origin of the universe or the, the physical and metaphysical nature of our existence. Natural existence, the physical world, and then the spiritual world over top of it. And we need to understand that because... When we read our Bible, we read the Word of God. That's what, what's coming through it, is that 
Um, and I think we, we as Western, Westerners, we, we tend to de-spiritualize things, and that's kind of happened, and that's partly because of our, our Western culture, but even, even when we started doing translations of the Bible in like the Middle Ages, um, even some of the Masoretic texts, some of the Jewish texts that we're translating from had already started to de-spiritualize um, what was being said. And uh, the Bible's not written as a science book, so let's just get that out of the way. And we were, we're not going to really talk science or anything with that today because I don't like looking at the Bible as a science book. The, the Bible is a story. It is God's story for us. Um, and I do believe it is a narrative written to explain, uh, and it's Holy Spirit-inspired, and it's the take on the beginning. And uh, again, the Bible is written to fellow Hebrews. It's not written to us, but it is written for us. And hopefully that makes sense. Um, they're not writing it to a group of white people sitting around in America. That's not who this is addressed to. So we really need to come at it with, with a historic lens of what that group of people would think of this. Um, so just really quick, because we're going to get to the flood, the Genesis overview. Genesis 111 is concerned about world history. And I would kind of, most people just say Genesis 1 through 11. I would say up until about the time where Abraham is done, Abraham's done traveling and he has Isaac, that's kind of the kickstart of the Hebrew story. So I would even include part of Abraham in the world history part. But uh, Genesis 1, 1 and 11, it, it deals with creation, the fall of man with the curse of death and sin entering creation. Then we skip to Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons and the issue that they had, and the idea that sin is entering in even more. It says that, that sin was crouching at the door for, uh, for Cain, this idea that the, the sin is existent there. And then we get a little section where we get like the propagation of Adam's family, and we get those lineages in the Bible that most people are just bored with and skip through. And um, then we get into a little bit about the pre-flood depravity of the world. What's going on in the world? Why did God just why did God decreate the world? Like, our world is full of sin right now. Our world has some crazy stuff. There's how many billions of us on earth, and we're going nuts. And he has not opened up the floodgates yet. He's not going to. He promised not to. But what made, what made that world so bad and so crazy that God's like, we're going to decreate earth? Um, and then you get the adventures of Noah, which we'll get into today, and then you're going to get to the Tower of Babel and the Table of Nations. And that kind of ends the world history segment of Genesis. At that point, we're done looking at this broad picture of humanity, and then we jump into the majority of Genesis, which is the story of Abraham's family, because now we're focused on the Hebrews, and we're focused on this journey that brings us the solution to all of these problems that happened in Genesis 1 through 11. Here's the list of problems, and then we're going to get the genealogy that brings us our Savior that takes care of every one of those problems. Um, a lot of people have wondered, and scholars go back and forth, why Genesis 1.11 is so short compared to the rest of Genesis with the Hebrew people. And their understanding of it, and what we can tell, is just people knew the stories. They're not very detailed. People kind of knew what was going on. This had been passed down. Um, this isn't just a Hebrew view, but a lot of the things that happen in Genesis are viewed this way by multiple other cultures in the ancient Near East and around the world. And um, 
the writers just assume they knew. There's no time. We don't need to dwell on anything there. Um, so we're going to start in Genesis 6 today, but to get there, we're just going to go through this real quick. Uh, Genesis 1, we're not going to spend a lot of time. You, you, once you get into Genesis 1 and 2, you can spend weeks there with creation. Um, but Yahweh creates the physical world. Spiritual beings were already present. There's already spiritual dynamic, and there's multiple verses that talk about that later. The, the angels are the spiritual beings that celebrated at the creation of earth, the verse in Job in different places, the heavenly, the heavenly beings. Um, so he creates the physical world at some point. And then um, Yahweh does his thing on earth, and eventually humans are created to partner and reign on earth with Yahweh. Humans believe a lie that Yahweh is holding out good stuff from them. We have the story of Eve with the snake, the spiritual being. Um, Eve sees that the fruit is good and takes. The snake and its deception is there. You already have this deceiver who's weaving into humanity. You get the, uh, you get the curse of the deceiver, that now there's going to be enmity between humans and the seed of the snake. Um, Humans fall. Death becomes our curse. Sin is now in the world. Uh, we're kicked out of Eden. We're kicked out of that garden mountain of God. And uh, cherubim are placed. So already, like just in the first three chapters, we've already got a few human components. We already see a few of the spiritual components of our story. There's already spiritual beings in our world. Um, and then you get to Cain and Abel, which is a, a good lesson in itself. And... Uh, then after you get the story of Cain and Abel, you, you get into the genealogies of, of Adam's kids. And uh, we're not even, you know, we're four, we're four chapters through the Genesis scroll, and humanity is already split up and dysfunctional. And uh, then it gets worse. And that's where we're going to come into it today. Um, the story of Noah is big. It's a large happening. And it happens over a large span of time. So when we talk about the story of Noah, remember we're talking about 120 years of Noah just building the ark. And then God bringing the animals in and all of that. The world is essentially decreated. And keep in mind that in the beginning, you had the waters and the waters were all crazy and chaotic. We've talked about that before. And, uh, and that's, where, that's where the flood takes us right back to that. When the flood is done, you've got the ark with what's left over the chaos waters once again. And so we've already entered in the second theme of God coming down, taking care of the chaos waters again, and reestablishing humanity. Um, it's a pretty complicated story to teach and for Sunday school kiddos to grasp. So what we give them is very watered down, and it's, uh, it's just interesting what we get them. I always, it always amazes me knowing the story and what's going on in the story, how many like nurseries I see that are like Noah's Ark themed and everything is happy with the rainbows and the arcs and the animals on there. And I'm like, kind of weird. Like you're focusing on a story of like crazy spiritual consequences and mixing on earth and destruction of the entire world and everybody dying and all the animals almost dying. And that's kind of what we put on our nursery walls. It's just weird. It's kind of weird to me. But uh, four chapters ago, Yahweh looked at the world and said it was good. So what happened? Uh, the first thing we see is in Genesis 5, we learn a, bit, a little bit about this guy named Lamech. And uh, Jewish writings have a little more to say about Lamech. But Lamech, uh, he's a bad dude. He, uh, he's the first one to go ahead and become a polygamist. 
So we don't have polygamy in the Bible until you get to Lamech. And uh, he decides he needs two wives. And there's Jewish writings about that that are not in the Bible, but talk about his attitude towards needing more than one woman. And uh, he was a very violent guy, super violent. And uh, he, there's a little, his little poetic thing that he says here in Genesis. Uh, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So what he's saying is I'm 11 times worse than Cain. And so here you got this guy who is just the pinnacle of violence and evidently the lust. And uh, that's just the natural state at this point. And the Bible, for whatever reason, points to him in the genealogies. It points to Enoch, who walked with God. And we'll talk more about the, the phrase walked with God. But then it, 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 makes, it makes a quick reference of this guy and how bad he is. And so that's how Genesis 5 ends. Um, and now we're going to get to this idea of a hyperinflation of sin. What happens that God is going to decreate the world? Um, the first part of Genesis 6 is one of the most controversial parts in the Bible. It's less controversial than it used to be due to the fact that we, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls and we found copies of our Bible that were, you know, 2,000-something years old. And so we could kind of look at what was written. Um, and then, of course, we have all the scholarly work. We have all the work that the archaeologists have done all over the world. And uh, we, have a, we have a better story of the ancient Near East and looking at this through the, the lens of those ancient Near Eastern people. Um, so Genesis 6.1, we're just going to go through these verses a little bit. And this is, this is 6.1 and 2. We already get kind of in the mud. And when man began to multiply when the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Some translations have the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were good, and so they took. And right away, you know this is not going to end bad, end good, because what did Eve do? Eve saw that the fruit was good, and so Eve took. It's that whole theme weaved again. But this time, it's spiritual beings doing that. And so let's figure out what a son of God is before we can even move forward. What do they mean by son of God? And your Hebrew on that is B'nai Elohim, which literally translates to Son of God. Your B'nai is Ben. When you see like Ben in front of a Hebrew name, it just means Son of, like for a last name. So it's an easy way to remember that. So the B'nai Elohim, who are they? There's three views on this. There's three views throughout history, though two of these views are very, very recent views, as in like the last couple hundred years. And then now we've kind of gone back to the classic view because of everything that's been literally unearthed. Um, so there's three views on who these sons of God are. And so depending on when people went to seminary or when people were taught their Bible, you're going to get different views on this um, based on the information that was available. Uh, the first view and the classic view that was the normal view all the way up until about Augustine, who we talked briefly about, um, is that they were spiritual beings that when it says sons of God, it means spiritual beings because elsewhere in the Bible, um, that's what it means. 
places in Psalms, places in Job's. There's more. You get uh, sons of God, or sometimes they'll take that B'nai Elohim, they'll translate it into the heavenly host, which is, of course, the heavenly host. When we talk about the heavenly host, we think about the angels, like a bunch of angels, spiritual beings. Um, and then there are people that briefly uh, will take on the sons of Seth idea. So the idea is that with the sons of Seth, Seth was the, the son born to Adam after Abel was killed. So Abel was, Abel was the one that made the right sacrifices to God. And then eventually Adam gets Seth. And if you read the chronologies, there's kind of like a chronology of Seth and the chronology of Cain. One's kind of like these good people. The Cain one has some good people, but it ends with, you know, you got Lamech in there who's taking ladies and killing people and doing the Lamech thing. And so there's that, this kind of division. So they, they think that the sons, of, the sons of God mean, they call them the Sethites, the people that were born of Seth because they were, they were the nice ones. Um, you have to read in for that. There's nowhere else in the Bible that it talks about the sons of Seth or anything like that. The other idea is that the sons of God, um, in the classic world, a lot of rulers thought that they were divine or half divine, right? So like you have like the Pharaoh who's like half God, half man is what they believe. Or, and, and that's not uncommon. That's, that's in Sumeria. That's in all these other ancient ideas. Um, so some people believe that they're just saying it was these evil, super egotistical kings there are some people that believe that the sons of God were the sons of Seth. And then there's the classic view that they were spiritual beings. And that's more where I rest. Um, just based on what I've learned over the years. Um, but a lot of people, when you, when you dive into Bible and you're trying to figure out something in the Bible, you need to cross-reference within the Bible. That's the idea, right? The Bible is the measure. The Bible is the word. Um, so let's just look at different places in the Bible that directly uh, give an interpretation of this. And we don't even need to go to the Old Testament. There's actually interpretations of this in the New Testament. And so we're going to look at those passages real quick, just so that we can point out what these sons of God are. Because there's a reason the sons of God being spiritual beings, they matter in the story of God decreating a world. Because the reason God decreates a world kind of affects the way you view God. Why did God, I mean, it was, it would be genocide on steroids, nothing we've ever seen before in our lifetimes. Um, why is Yahweh doing that? And so that's why I think it's important to go through this a little bit, because there's a reason. Um, we won't go too far in there. We're just going to look at the references. Second Peter, this is a passage about false prophets and false teachings. Um, so we'll just go through it real quick. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Then he's going to make some comparisons of these false teachers to these spiritual beings. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, 
with seven others when he bought when he bought a, brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So let's just stop right there. So immediately, these false teachings, this idea is married to these false teachings of the angels that sinned. Where in the Bible is there any other story about angels that sin? Just Genesis 1, 1 through 4, 1 through 5. It's the only place in the Bible of angels that sin. So that's kind of where we're at with that. Um, and then he goes on, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So what he's doing is he's comparing these sins that are happening with false teachings and leading people astray, and he's leading them, he's comparing them to these instances of, of sensuality amongst the, the angels and then later the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah is on our list of stories that people were checking off back there, so we're going to get to that. This stuff is going to play into Sodom and Gomorrah and explain Sodom and Gomorrah a little better also. Um, so Peter's understanding is that those angels, because right away he brings up Noah again, he's connecting this together. Those angels, I don't really like saying angels, I want to say spiritual beings. Angel is a messenger. These aren't necessarily messenger spiritual beings. Does that make sense? Angel just means messenger. It doesn't mean a species of spiritual being, if you will. It just means messenger. We just call them. Because in the Bible, you have human angels too. There's, it just means a human messenger. So we'll just call them spiritual beings. Um, right away, he's bringing them up with Noah. So, so Peter's interpretation of this is, this is what it is. This is what it is. And so I'm going to take Peter's word for it. He was with Jesus. He was listening to Jesus' teachings nonstop. I like what Peter has to say. I'm also going to take Jesus' half-brother for what he has to say about it, too. Um, and he says, now I want to remind you, it's kind of fun because he's, he's, he's hitting on the same points that Peter's hitting on, Judas. I want to remind you that although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, some translations say unnatural flesh instead of desire. And that's a pretty cool distinction when we get to Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll talk about that. And they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So he's kind of echoing the same thing Peter's echoing. He's saying there's something about this group of spiritual beings did not stay within their position. They're now stuck in chains in gloomy darkness. If you look back at what Peter says, Peter's using the gloomy darkness. Peter uses the Tartarus in another thing. So it's this, it's this connection between them. So based on Jesus' half-brother and one of his disciples. It, it confirms it to me within the Bible, but I'm going to go with the sons of God being a group of spiritual beings. That's just making sense to me. Um, you have to read into the text the sons of Seth. You have to read into the text 
the idea of divinized kings. So that's just where I'm at with that. You could spend, you could go down a whole rabbit trail there, trail there. You can get crazy. You can get stuff that makes sense. You can get conspiratorial. It, it, it can get it can get big. That's just where I'm at, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, Genesis six three. Moving on to Genesis six three. Then the Lord said, "My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years." This has been a puzzling verse for people, and it's a puzzling verse to, to teach through Sunday school, because some people, when you just read this, you just read, oh, humans are not going to live longer than 120 years. Um, that's how some people read it. What I found out is that in Second Temple Jewish text, this was just preached as Noah was 480 years old when he receives the message from God. The flood comes when he's 600 years old. So that 120 years is the countdown. When the Holy Spirit says that, the Holy Spirit is declaring the countdown. This is 120 years. And we see later in Genesis, we'll read, Genesis says that when Noah was 600 years old, the floodwaters were released. So, so that's always been a weird thing when I would read it as a kid, because like immediately you're going to get through the Tower of Babel, and you're going to get to Abraham, and he's like 170-something at some point, and it's already kind of breaking this 120 the way people take it. And so... So I think I think it's just that's just the countdown. I think Holy Spirit is saying, 120 years. That's all I'm going to do. It's also fun because this idea that the Holy Spirit, that God, God is among the men at this point. This is a normal thing. Enoch's walking with God. It says that Noah walked with God. This idea of full belief interaction with God during these times. Um, it's, it's cool. Just never think about that. Um, and so then we get to the other controversial part of Genesis 6. So we'll jump into this real quick. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and bore children to them. They were the mighty men of old, the men of redown. All right. So here we go with understanding this verse. The Nephilim are also part of Boogeyman Tales in the Bible, and we'll get to more of that later. Um, and this is controversial. Some people just think that the Nephilim uh, were just a different tribe that came out of these people. But in direct reference of the sons of God, which we've already pretty much established, spiritual beings came into the daughters of man, that's literal, um, and bore children to them. So these are the mighty men of old. The men of renown, one of the words for mighty men of old, if you read the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's gibberim. Um, the gibberim is actually translated in a lot of places. It goes back and forth with the gigantia, which would be giants. And so when they say the mighty men of old, some translations will say these are the giants of old, the men of renown. Um, if you get into ancient Near Eastern thoughts, there's giants all over the place. Um, you get into like the tales of Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh, supposedly, he claims to be, it's, the, it's, it's our oldest story from humanity that we have recorded, um, is the story of Gilgamesh. And he claims to be uh, a demigod, basically. He's, he's born of spiritual beings, the gods, and born of a woman. And he's giant. He's supposed to be like eight or nine feet tall and... He does his Gilgamesh tales. Sometimes you get that in history classes. You might write it in high school or whatever. Um, kind of a reference to that. It's the idea that everyone, this was just kind of the way people thought uh, things were going down. And so 
This idea is not that crazy if you're living in the time of Jesus. It's pretty much how you thought things were. Um, Sons of God gets referred to as another group of angels called watchers, another second temple text. The word watchers, for spiritual beings, the only time you'll find that in the Bible is just in Daniel. Daniel refers to watchers as a class of spiritual beings. And uh, so that's all, that's all I'm going to spend there. I'm not going to go too crazy with that. Um, they came down, desired women in the second temple text that kind of reinforced this thought. I made this slide gray because it's speculative. All right? So I'm not preaching this as this is the way it is. Um, sons of God referred to as watchers in second temple texts. The idea of this story in second temple text is that they came down and desired women and desired to have their own beings. There was this notion among the spiritual beings. They wanted to be like God and they wanted to have their own children. They wanted to usurp the authority of earth. As a spiritual being, I don't know what I would think if God came down and made these mud people and gave them this beautiful planet and I've been serving and doing stuff with God the entire time. It's a good character reflection to take place with those spiritual beings. Um, Some people believe that Satan went and deceived them. Again, this is speculative. That the snake went and planted these notions in their heads through discussion. We don't know. It's all speculative. It doesn't really matter the why. Um, But the idea was they came down, they desired the women, they had their way with women, they started producing their own hybrid children, weird stuff. And they taught humans... uh, Technology, it was kind of like a technology exchange. We're going to teach you some of the secrets of heaven, some of the secrets of how things work, things that were not meant for humans, things that God did not give humans. Um, Sorcery, divination, massive war, drug use. It's one of the first times in the ancient world, too, where you start hearing about the cutting of roots and pharmaceutical drug use. Um, The list goes on. Uh, Produced hybrid children, powerful in deeds, Nearly all the ancient Near East civilizations have the story, and they have a flood boat narrative. The flood in the boat is not, is not a Christian-only thing. A lot of civilizations have this idea of a boat and the flood. Uh, these creatures slash people that were born of these were disasters. They were violent. They were full of lust. They were boastful. They lorded over the regular humans. It was full of blood and violence when you read the stories, which the Bible reflects that the violence the blood in the ground reaches God. And um, it's just bad. So the audiences that are reading this already know this story. They're not taking much time on this. The idea is to get you to Noah and God's version of the flood, not necessarily some spiritual being's version that they're teaching their people about the flood. And this is Yahweh's story. Um, so already we can understand why we don't get into that during Sunday school. Here's what's going on. Here's why the world's so cruddy. Um, no one wants to go home and have discussions with their children about angel-human sex. That's, that's rough. So, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The language there 
is to make you think about creation, right? I will blot out man. I will blot out the animals. Then it uses the language of the creeping things and the birds. All of these things that were talked about in the Genesis creation narrative. This is, this is his way of saying, I'm going to decreate. I'm going to take these things that I put in here and said we're good, and I'm going to take them out. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. There's that phrase of walking with God again, this idea of the friendship, this idea of being in God's ways. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. There's that reference to that giant amount of violence again. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. A couple different theories on this. Some people believe that all flesh is just talking about men. Some people believe that all flesh is talking about they were were corrupted animals too. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means. You think about some of the weird stuff we see from mythology that seems to appear in a lot of different cultures. Who knows? Maybe they were weird. That's speculation. Maybe that was weird, corrupted stuff. We don't know. Um, But God had decided that humanity and animals, it needed to be wiped. The corruption was bad. And so we're going to get a plan here. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It's like the third time it's rearranged to us in a row that things were corrupt. And the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had been corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Or with, uh, yeah, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. It's breadth, 50 cubits. And it's height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. So again, this idea God breathed life into all these beings is going to be taking that breath of life right back out. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Let's talk about the boat materials. This is something people always like to focus on when we talk ark. Uh, The pitch we understand, they're going to cover it with a pitch, some kind of waterproof pitch all over this giant wooden boat. We have no idea what gopher wood is. There's no historical record of gopher wood at the time. There's nothing. We don't really mean what it is. There's different theories. Uh... One of the theories is in the Greek version that they translated from the Hebrew over. It just says squared timbers, that gopher wood isn't necessarily a type of wood. They translate that Hebrew word as squared timbers. Squared timbers for us is just what we would call large boards. So the idea of boards, um, that's fun. Uh, Some people have directly translated it cedar or cypress in the past. So those are two possible woods that it was made out of. We don't know. Uh, Others, noting the visual similarity between the Hebrew letters of G and K, the gimel and the calf, uh, they say that it could be kofir wood, not gopher wood, the Hebrew word meaning pitch. So when people, you know, you're translating Bibles and you're copying Bibles, 
If you look at that letter and then you look at that letter, all it takes is someone that didn't put their little dupe on the bottom to the right. And now you've gone from Kofer to Gopher, or from Gopher to Kofer. So the idea with Kofer, Kofer actually means pitched. So they could just be saying use pitched wood. Um, a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to figure out this Gopher wood thing. And uh, just pitched wood. We don't know exactly what he used. Um, a lot of people believe that because it's pre-flood, you have megafauna and mega animals. Things were bigger. Trees were bigger. You're going to have larger boards. You're going to have larger chunks of wood. And so that's just kind of the speculation on the materials of the ark. So, to finish up for today. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every, little, and every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him to do. So I think we're going to end there. The other interesting thing about this is the idea that God is like, you need food supply. Not just that you need food supply, but every sort of food that is eaten. It's like a food bank. It's like we're going to repopulate the world with this food bank. There's actually a giant food bank slash thing. I think it's, it's in Scandinavia somewhere. It's up in the ice. It's a very large building, and it's a dug underground so that if anything nuclear were to happen uh, to the world right now, that's, there's actually seeds of everything in there from the world. There's like a seed bank in it, and they call that building the ark, which is kind of fun. So the idea is if anything goes bad, all these seeds and food supply stuff is in here, and we can repopulate the earth, which is fun that it's, they're worried about that, but God said it's not going to happen again. So, um, so that's, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. When I was a kid, and the world was full of sin, in my kid mind, I'm just thinking people were stealing a lot of things, probably listening to really bad music, probably being really disobedient to their parents, and probably a lot of fighting. And because that stuff was really bad, God destroyed the world. You know, but now I know it was a little worse than that. So, so not that those are good things. Please don't listen to bad music and steal things and do all that stuff. But, but it was more than that. And I think that was kind of the point of the story is that it was more than that. The also, the other part of the story is, is tracking with the spiritual beings. Because when you read Genesis and as we go through it, um, these spiritual beings are right there alongside man with all of the stories. And having this understanding that there's a lot of people in Christianity, you have, you have God and his angels, you got Satan and his fallen angels, and that is it. That is our paradigm for spiritual beings. That is what we think they are. We think a lot of people think they're just, they look like us and they got wings. There's no reference in the Bible of anybody that looks like us with wings. We've, we've, we've culturally absorbed some stuff that we just, populates our spiritual view. And it's, uh, that's not the way they used to think. That's not the way the Bible's written. Floating angel babies, those are always one of my favorites. I always don't understand the floating baby angels. But 
We have to get through that. We have to understand there are spiritual beings. Already, we're talked to the snake-like figure. We're talked about the snake-like figure chapters ago. We have these uh, cherubim with, with, flaming, with, with a flaming sword. I don't know if they're carrying flaming swords or if it's some kind of flaming sword that's existing on its own that protects too. We got weird stuff happening. And we have to believe that the spiritual realm has some of this odd stuff in it. Um, you know, there's different species in the natural world. There's no reason to believe that God didn't create a plethora of species for the spiritual world. We just don't know. But the Bible makes it clear that it's not, it's not, a, it's not a one and done thing where you just have the two sides. And uh, that's going to matter as we go through stories. This fascination uh, with humans and the spiritual and how they're interacting with spiritual beings. This becomes a giant thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, this becomes a thing when we talk about Abraham. And Abraham's literally walking around with Jesus. Um, ways to read this that make sense and uh, don't leave us with uh, the Bible stories are just lessons. I believe that this stuff happened. I believe that it's strange stuff. I don't know what to do with most of it, but I, I believe that it happened, and I believe they're just more than stories and moral lessons that are given to us. And I think that uh, when we understand these, we can rearrange our viewpoints of the world, and we can see that there's more going on. And uh, become focused, like Jesus said, on going against, you're not fighting people, you're, spite, you're fighting the spiritual realm. It's not about people. But we don't understand the spiritual realm, that everything is just angels and demons, and then people are doing all this stuff. And uh, yeah, so hopefully as we dive into Sunday school, the rest of the story we get an idea of what's going on in these early stories and we, we, can, we can rearrange what we, some of the stuff we learn as kids and kind of flesh it out so that God isn't just some angry God who is sick of certain sins and so he decreated the world. And uh, it's, it's a lot more than that. So... So I'm going to pray, and Jonathan is going to come lead us in another song. And if you want any prayer for anything, if you need prayer after listening to this, I don't know. But if you need prayer for something, we're going to have people up here to pray with you. And so let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have given us much in the Bible, much to learn, and uh I'm just always amazed at everything that I learn when I, when I dig in. I'm amazed at everything you put in there and, and trying to find how that works with me, Lord. And I just need the Holy Spirit more as that Holy, Holy Spirit Bible teacher. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for coming and combating the depravity that was brought into our world. We thank you for, for taking care of those spirits that have entered and stayed. Um, that we don't have to be afraid of the spiritual world. That's, that you, you did the nuclear bomb in the spiritual world. That nothing is the same since you did what you did. And uh, we just thank you for that, Jesus. I just ask that you would help us to open our eyes to see the spiritual. To not be super crazy, but to see it as you want us to see it. Lord, we love you. I just ask that you'd be with us throughout the week. 
Just help us to get into your word more. And as it says to meditate, to meditate is to study and to just study and get in. And see more of who you are, all of who you are. We love you, Lord. And in your name we pray. Amen.